I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 156. So you remember how last week we were talking about um, what the hell is going on in the universe? With the sweets and stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Things have not changed. No. Um, in fact, things have gotten worse. Mm-hmm. I'm a blubbering idiot right now. <laughs> Your word's not mine. You thought it. No. Maybe mess. You thought blubbering mess. No. Be honest. I said hot mess. Okay. Well, you know, oh, you think I'm hot? I think you're hot. <laughs> Is it because I have a sweat mustache? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's your chapstick all above your lips. <laughs> I'm not lying, y'all. I mean, they get chapped at the very rim. You have to go above <laughs> it to get the tip top. Okay. I'm that rim job, though. Well, if you need to get some fucking crying out, might I recommend you start fucking watching and with a fucking E. Well, take out the fucking, because it ain't in the title, but and with an E. Because I'm like five episodes in. Don't even ask me what made me. It's been on my list for like, I don't know, a decade. Because that's when I recommended it on this podcast. Did you? Yes. Every time I recommend something, she never watches it. And then she'll... Just miraculously pick it up and be like, oh, that's actually really good. <laughs> well, the other day, I had a couple hours to burn. And by that, I mean, I put off about mm, 17 things on a to-do list and watch Netflix. That's a good show. It's mm-hmm. about a girl. Clearly, Donna's told y'all this before. Allegedly. It's based on books. Ah. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Anna Green Gables. Did you not read that? Okay, I recognize those words <laughs> and then I was like maybe I'm getting it confused with the house of seven gables oh, and so I was like maybe that's why I think I know those words no should should we not tell people that I'm this dumb <laughs> no it's out there it's out there hell we've had talks in the fucking Facebook group about and with an e but did I talk to no, because you probably were like, that's never going to watch that. Donna recommended something. Must be terrible. <laughs> well, it's good. Let me tell y'all about this new show. It's been on my thing for a long time, but I just finally did it. On a whim. <laughs> and it's like really good. I don't think anyone's really talked about it. Definitely not my co-host, Donna. Definitely not her. I didn't say that you didn't talk about it. I just- no, in the car, she said, hey, you've watched Anne with an E, right? Yep. <laughs> I mean, I might have mentioned it a few times on the podcast. She immediately goes, don't watch it. You're going to cry. And I said, too late. <laughs> and I blubbered. Oh, it is good. Yo, it's so good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, especially Carrie right now with her hot mess going on. Mm-hmm. I was like, don't watch it. You're going to cry, girl. Well, so if you need to just release some emotions <laughs> watch it <laughs> well if you need to release some endorphins join the patreon like these people did okay mm. i see you we're gonna laugh we're gonna get some bloopers we're gonna get some thank you videos that's right we're gonna get some uh sister sighting intros that's right Okay, okay. We see you, Tina H. from Illinois. Bonnie J. from Tennessee. Bree F. from Virginia. Lauren P. from Texas. 
Gladys T. from California. Anna J. from North Carolina. Fazia I. from North Carolina. Kimberly B. from Virginia. Katie F. from Pennsylvania. And Heather B. from Oregon. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. And y'all just heard some of the bonus content and extras that they're getting over there on Patreon. So if you want some of that stuff, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. There's different tiers for different monetary values. Each tier has its own bonus content that builds on itself. Yeah, and you get like merch discounts, that kind of thing. So, like we said, head on over to www.patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Oh, and just one more thing before we jump into my story. Shout out to two Sarahs in our Facebook group because they both told us about a painted turtle being an actual turtle. Like it's an actual species of a turtle. Also, look, we're not going to go into all of that because it made you cry reading the post. I feel like we have to. Okay, don't paint on a turtle if you're doing a turtle race because it will hurt their hurt them because they can't camouflage themselves in the wilderness. Yeah, if you're going to put them back in the wild. And put them back, did you see that part? Mm-hmm. Exactly where you got them from because if you don't, they'll spend the rest of their life looking for their original home and die because they only drive they only drive they don't drive they only travel like three to four miles in their entire lifetime and carrie cried i fucking cried so you remember diatlov pass Mm -hmm. all right hikers died mysteriously all the things well thanks to a suggestion by courtney l on insta i have a similar story to tell you this episode Picture it, August 2nd, 1993, Russia. It was in the morning, and one teacher and six of her students were excited to hike the Kamar Daban mountain range. This was something they had been training for for a while and were looking forward to this adventure for months. So the anticipation was palpable, to say the least. The teacher was 41-year-old Ludmilla Korvina, And the students were, get ready for roll call, 24-year-old Tatiana Filipinko. Present. (laughs) Gosh. 23-year-old Alexander Creason. He went by Sasha. And apparently Sasha is like dick to Richard Mm -hmm. for nicknames in the U.S. here. So, because I was like, Sasha? How'd they get that? But, Okay. Then 19-year-old Dennis Shavotkin, 17-year-old Valentina Yudachinko, 16-year-old Victoria Salasova, and 15-year-old Tamir Bapanov. I'm very impressed. I'm trying here. But so they range from, you know, 24 to, right, 24? I don't know. I was so captivated by you pronouncing the names right. I don't know any ages that you said. Well, I hope those are right. I said, I heard if it, I said, I heard. I said, I said, I said. <laughs> I think I heard you say a 15-year-old, because I think that was just because it was the last one. Yeah. So they range from 24 to 15, but they all had experience. Ludmilla was known to be a top-notch survivalist and hiker, so when her students decided to do this range with her, they had no trouble putting their fate in her hands, so to speak. 
especially Alexander, because he had known her since he was a child and they had more of a mother-son relationship. And also when I say top-notch, like people would fly in to go on hikes and stuff with Ludmilla and she was highly sought after. She was known to be kind of like the chef from Hell's Kitchen, a bit, you know, like tough and would push her students hard, but not as outlandish as he is on TV. But a lot of her students said that hiking with her changed them on a personal level for the better. She didn't tell them that they were an idiot sandwich? Right. She did not do that. One of my favorite gifts. <laughs> also, the Kamar Daban range was known to be a tourist spot, unlike the Diatla Pass. The range was thought to be safe to hike and easy to manage your way around. And again, it was August, and the summer is reportedly the best time to hike the range. So they had so much going for them to make this an amazing and safe journey. Even the weather forecast showed sunny and clear skies ahead, so it was a perfect season, perfect weather, and the perfect group. Unfortunately, it was not the perfect outcome. Another thing to note is that they were not the only group hiking the range. There were two other groups there, one that was led by Ludmilla's daughter, and they had planned to meet up on the 5th, because that's when they had mapped out that their paths would cross. The first two days went by without incident, they made great time, and they were doing better than they had planned that they would. But then, on August 4th, they started to make their descent, and they learned the hard way that you cannot trust a forecast and that Mother Nature is a temperamental bitch sometimes because a rainstorm soaked them and all of their supplies. And the rain was freezing rain. And what's important to note from this is that it added a lot of weight to the hikers. And they were already exhausted because they had pushed themselves before to make that great timing. That added weight was almost detrimental to some, so Ludmilla made the decision to camp for the night, but the place she picked was kind of out in the open, and there seemed to be better spots around, like two and a half miles away, there was a bunch of trees that would have provided them more shelter, but they all agreed on this place and made camp, so they were more on like a plateau, just out there in the open, kind of like a marshy kind of land. Another weird thing is that there was another place they could have went, and it was like a 30-minute trek up the mountain to this little rest stop that was built. And it was built by like a transformer or something. So just imagine like what a cell tower looking thing is. And then something that you would see at Burning Man because it had like wood stuff on it. I'm assuming I've never been. I don't know. But it would have provided them shelter from the weather. And there was firewood and stuff like that stored there. So they could have started a fire because they couldn't outside because it was raining. But instead of going there, they went to this open plateau marsh area. They stayed right there. Yeah. It is good to note that even though it wasn't forecasted to rain, that area of Russia was known to have summer showers. And like I said, Ludmilla was a survivalist expert, probably had the same motto as Big Brother, expect 
the unexpected. So they did have the gear and stuff for rain. They were just caught in the downpour and it was kind of useless at that point. But from then on, it would have been okay. Well, the next morning, the group woke up as refreshed as they could have been. And they were also surprised to find out it had snowed. What? Yeah, because it was freezing rain. And apparently there was some like random like typhoon thing going on that no one knew about. And right here at that altitude, it snowed. They ate breakfast, plotted out their day and the paths because today was the day they were going to meet up with Ludmilla's daughter and her group. Unfortunately, our group of hikers never showed up for that meet, but Natalia, her daughter, and her crew just assumed it was because of the bad weather and moved on. What they didn't know is that tragedy had struck the group just after breakfast And it was something no one ever saw coming. What was it? (laughs) So after they ate breakfast, packed up, and were headed down the mountain, they didn't get far because a loud scream came from the back of the group, rang out through the snow-covered range, and it was Alexander. Everyone turned to see if he had fallen or what happened, and that's when they saw he was bleeding from his eyes and his ears. What? He fell down, immediately began convulsing, foaming at the mouth. Well, Ludmilla ran to him. Remember, they were super close, like mother and son. She cradled him to her as his body went still. So she ordered the group to continue on down the mountain to get help. She had put the two boys, Dennis and Tamir, in charge of the group then, even though... Tamir was the youngest, but the group did not get far because they could hear her sobbing and desperately trying to get Alexander to gain consciousness. And then they heard, you know, a loud wail, louder than a normal sob. And then it became more of a scream. So they turned, saw that Ludmilla was now slumped over Alexander's body. The group ran back up to see what's going on. And that's when the real chaos ensued. The rest started to have mass hysteria, it seemed. Two of the girls in the group collapsed, started tearing at their clothes and convulsing as well. And if they weren't tearing at their clothes, they were scratching at their throats. Dennis looked like he was playing hide and seek behind some rocks. Tatiana then started to bang her head against the rocks. What? The only one who wasn't affected, it seemed, was Valentina. And she tried to usher her group together and just to get them to the tree coverage that was a little down the range. Like, let's get out of the weather. Let's try to regroup. Like, what the fuck is going on? And she was really close friends with Victoria. So she was like, no, girl, we have to go. She grabbed her hand, but Victoria bit her. So... Valentina was like, what the fuck, girl? Bye. Like, I got to go. So Valentina and Dennis, the one who was, you know, being odd, ducking down, but being odd about it, they were the only two hikers who were unaffected. But again, it seemed that Dennis wasn't as clear-headed as Valentina was. They went down the slope just a little, but Dennis stopped and grabbed Valentina and was like, hey, 
We need to go and get essentials from our backpacks and then just start running for shelter and then we'll go get help. She agreed, so they went back up. And while Valentina was digging through her backpack, she looked up and she saw that Dennis had already collapsed. (gasps) And he was sadly bleeding heavily from his ears and eyes as well. Oh, no. So Valentina knew she could do nothing for him. She was the only one left, you know, and they were just like writhing in pain, you know, just whatever. And she, what can she do? So she did the only thing she could. She ran. Valentina made it to the forest, but she was alone, afraid, and not sure what she should do next. And the weather didn't let up either. The night was long, filled with heavy winds, rain, and snow. And she barely got any rest because nearby trees kept snapping in half in the forest. However, thankfully, in the morning, the weather had slacked off, so she mustered all the strength she could made the trek back up the slope, and she wanted to find her friends and see if any had survived. She did find them, but none were alive. Their bodies were scattered everywhere. Their facial expressions all looked horrified in their last moments. So Valentina just shielded her eyes from them. She went to their packs, collected food, a sleeping bag, and then took the map from Ludmilla's pack. She then left for the hike, of her survival. This lasted for three days. Valentina first went to the river on August 7th, and she stayed the night there. And that's when she found a relay tower, which is what I was talking about before. And she spent the night there too. So in the morning, she saw like there were basically like telephone poles, but they call them pillars. So pillars going down. She's like, okay, If this is going somewhere, it must go to a village or something, and there's going to be people there, and I'll be safe. And it's just like in a fucking, I survived. She gets to the houses that the pillars and the wires are connected to, and they were all abandoned. So there was no one, and she was still all alone. Of fucking course. Right? So Valentina continued on and made it to another river. And followed that downstream. She spent the night there, and then she was determined to find help that following morning. She was too exhausted to keep going. She was losing hope. She was running out of everything, energy, supplies, all the things. So she stretched out her sleeping bag on some bushes near the water, which is apparently how you can signal you need help or like, hey, I'm over here. It's like when you save your spot at Mardi Gras or we put our purses in the seats at the slot machines at the casinos. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just, you know, like, oh, she's in the bathroom, but that's her spot. Like, that's what outdoorsy people do. I would have never known. I would have been like, oh, is that a free sleeping bag? I mean, (laughs) okay, you you want some company? Knock, knock. Right? (laughs) Well, this time, luck was finally on her side, and there was a group kayaking down the river, and they picked her up. And she was actually extremely lucky because not a lot of people raft, float, whatever you call it, the river at that spot. They saw Valentina. They asked if she needed help, but she never spoke. She never gave any response because she's in shock. You know, she's knocking on death's door. Like, right? gosh. Sleep-deprived, starving. Ugh. Well, they made it, you know, they did everything. 
Well, despite the report to the police, they didn't start the search until the 24th of August. So that was a few weeks. What? Mm -hmm. Could you imagine being the family of those people? Yeah. Fuck that. And since Valentina really, I think she just went to a place that she had to to survive. Mm -hmm. And so she really couldn't recount her version of it. She was just within herself and did not want to go back or could not go back. And so it took them like two days to find the bodies once they did make that search, like actually embark on that journey. By that time, decomp had set in. Animals had already scavenged. When the hikers' bodies were finally found, they were contorted. And just like Valentina had said, the terror was just frozen on their face. Three of the bodies were barefoot, others wearing nothing but thin tights and leotards. One of the members of the recovery team was interviewed, and they said they'll never forget it. And they said that the hikers had no eyes. (gasps) And in the empty sockets and their open mouths, worms were crawling out. Oh, I could have gone a lifetime. Ugh. I had to read it. You have to hear about it. I mean, it's like, duh, of course it of is. Of course, but can you imagine? But like, oh, the- if you're just like a recovery, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, I don't know if those people who were part of this process are like first responders, but I just picture them being hiking experts who are maybe with the first responders. Yeah. Who are, that's probably not even the case, but in my brain, that's who they are. And so I'm thinking that they aren't prepared for that in their, you know. Uh, no, that's true. Some of them were just experts trying to help. Mm-mm. I mean, because again, you would expect there to be that level of insect activity on those bodies. But mm-hmm. if you're just like, again, an expert hiker who's helping these responders, you know, ready for that. Right. Well, and then you're looking at them to be like, that could be me. Uh-huh. Oh, well, they said that when they packed the bodies in the plastic bags and they flew in the helicopters to get autopsied, the smell in the helicopter was unbearable and most of the men got sick. Mm. So according to the autopsies, hypothermia was the cause of death in all of them but Loon Millet, who died from a heart attack. She died of a broken heart. Oh, Oh, God, don't cry, Carrie. I didn't think of that, but do not cry because you're going to make me cry. And I have to talk. I got it all out when I watched Anne with an E. And all of them appeared to suffer from protein deficiency and bruising of the lungs. But the protein deficiency doesn't make sense because Valentina said that they ate well. Every time they all ate communally and everything, they were not starved. They had plenty of food. That doesn't make sense. So ultimately, everything was ruled accidental, but there's still so many unanswered questions, so of course, there's theories. And even though I love aliens, I'm not getting into the alien theories and stuff because it wasn't aliens, and then some people have said like the Russian military wanted to cover something up because they saw things they shouldn't have seen, kind of like Dyatlov Pass, but again, this was a very tourist destination. And I don't buy that then. Like, why would they do it at a tourist destination? Diatla Pass was, like, hard to get to. Not a lot of people went there. Very remote. And 
you're going to leave one survivor. Right. Mm, makes no sense. Right. Then another theory is altitude sickness because it can affect the heart, blood vessels, cause hallucinations. But at the height that they were, altitude sickness almost never happens. The altitude of Kamar Daban is 2,396 meters, which isn't that tall compared to the likes of Dyatlov Pass and other places. It just isn't that tall where they were. But could the rapid change in the weather have changed the like altitude pressure thingies that I don't really understand yeah, maybe. and caused it? Maybe. For sure. I mean, because it went from, oh, summer to freezing rain to, meh, just kidding, it's snowing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, clear like in a matter of hours. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Another person said infrasound. It was a member of the search group, Nikolai. He said there was an anticyclone and a strong wind. And that magnetic vibrations began Air currents were set in motion, which create infrasound, which could affect the psyche. And with the individual rocks under strong wind, they can become like basically a generator for power, which can cause a state of panic. It's kind of like that um, if there's a high EMF level in your house and you think, oh my God, I'm haunted, but it's really just like the electrical work is setting off something and it's super high and it's making you have like something's watching me something's whatever it's giving off that kind of vibe and they said that according to valentina her friends were restless and her own speech was very like inconsistent when she did start to speak and they were just saying like she was disoriented a little bit but the girl was by herself for three days and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's just another theory. Yeah, that's pushing it. Well, another theory is that Ludmilla was, again, a survivalist and a known forger. You know, like, okay, this is what you can eat if you were ever stuck out here. Mm-hmm. And she taught that to her students. And so... Some of the stuff they say is that maybe she chose that area and not to take cover to make them like, all right, kind of tough love. Like, this is how you survive in this really harsh environment. Like, no cover if you're here, blah, blah, blah. Could have been a reason. Other people say that the map that they had just wasn't accurate. And so those two locations, the trees below... And that tower were, like, it showed way longer away. And it's like, okay, well, these people are about to fall down. They're not going to make it doing this. So we might as well just be here on this flat piece of land where Mm -hmm. at least we're here, you know, together. We don't know. But anyway, again, she taught her students all about survival. They said that it could have been that they collected mushrooms or something Added that to their breakfast that they ate, and it might not have been the right kind. Who knows? Like, if the students went off and was like, oh, yeah, this is exactly what she told us to do. Mm -hmm. They prepared it or whatever. She, You know what I mean? Right. And didn't know. And then there we go. But again, 
why did Valentina survive? Is her memory still that distorted from the event that they couldn't say, okay, tell us exactly what you ate. Okay, what did they eat? What did, you know, was there something that you didn't eat that they ate? Right. Well, and she said everything they ate was together. Everything was communal. Everything, you know, blah, 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 blah. But she might not have been with them because she was younger. So if, say, Alexander and Tatiana, who were older, went, collected the mushrooms, prepared the food, she didn't know. Like, you know, if they finally minced them up or Mm -hmm. something, you know, she didn't know. Or she thought, oh, these were brought from home. Who the fuck cares? And Oh, absolutely. So she just doesn't know. But they said... If that's the case and why she survived, she could have had a tolerance for them. She could have not ate as much as some of them. I don't know. But Valentina said the only thing that they had been gathering was golden root, which is not a mushroom. So I don't know. But I will say, even like that Into the Wild book where that guy was like an expert on survivaling, survivaling. I mean, you know, tell me you're not an outdoorsy person without telling me you're not an outdoorsy <laughs> person. I'll go first. <laughs> wow. But he was an expert on survival, but he ate the wrong kind of like berry or something. But it really wasn't. People had said, like, hey, you can eat this. But he ate, like, large quantities of it, and they hadn't studied that much, and then he died. It's a whole thing. So, like, even an expert can make a mistake. So, that could have happened. Who knows? But here's one I can get behind that I was like, hmm, this might be it. So, let me know what you think. Fake. (laughs) Black, I'd get... No, I'm just kidding. I thought you were about to say uh, the men in black. I was going to, but I was like, nah, she'll definitely. A nerve agent. Because foaming at the mouth, uh-huh. convulsing, uh-huh. all nerve agent stuff. Like, but why? By whom? Russians. Well, yeah, but for what? Okay, I'm getting there. Slow down. Mind your business. I'm telling you. My business. <laughs> and again, why survivor? Continue. I... Continue sitting down, ma'am. So, the bruising of the lungs that they couldn't, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know what that's about. Yeah. That is simpatico with nerve agents. Okay. I would have just said a symptom, but okay. That's what came to my mind, okay? And with the nerve agent, the cause of death really could have been hypothermia, But it was because they were exposed to a nerve toxin, so they could have had, like, been knocked out. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, they were exposed and died of hypothermia, but it was because of the fucking nerve toxin. Yeah. Either way, that's what I was thinking when that was their cause of death. I was like, oh, they were unconscious in some form of, like, a coma from whatever it was. Yeah. And so it wasn't that that killed him. It was literally the elements that ended up being the cause of death. Yeah. There's this YouTuber, Cadaver, I think is how you say his name. And he proposes that if there was a nerve agent used, 
It would have been this certain one, and it would have been Novichok gas. And that's a class of nerve agents that was created by Soviet Russia from like in the past up to 1993, which is when this incident happened. I was going to say that even sounds Russian, like Mm -hmm. the name of it. Well, that is supposed to be like one of the deadliest nerve agents to exist. And they were like reportedly testing in areas near the Kamar Daban region. So exposure to this gas causes a rapid death similar to what they experienced. And the weather could have played a part in this. So say this was tested five months ago or five weeks ago or whatever. Well, if the rain washed it downhill, whatever, there's an article on Medium by Natasha Mullins. And she says that basically the sun evaporated water from the rainstorm and some of it is still obviously there. Well, if Alexander walked over to a highly contaminated spot, not knowing, he could have absorbed the toxin through his skin, breathing it in, whatever. Well, when Ludmilla ran to him, cradled him, she was exposed to it. Then when Tatiana, Victoria, and Tamir, they were the first to reach Ludmilla, but then quickly ran away. So their deaths were slightly delayed. Not as rapid, but they still had symptoms. But since Valentina didn't get as close to Ludmilla at that time, she didn't have those symptoms. So it could have been that she just wasn't exposed to the high levels of the toxins. However, Dennis, he could have not been exposed as much because remember he was like crouching down. However, when he crouched down, he could have gotten more exposed. And that's when he was like, hey, 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 we need to go back up. But it finally got to him. And that's when he fell over. I mean, makes sense. They say that could also be a reason why there was a delay in recovering the bodies, kind of waiting for all of the toxins to be away from that area. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. And also, there's not a lot of media coverage from this. It was just kind of like, oh, they died. Bye. And a few articles. Valentina obviously wants to put that behind her, you know. And it's traumatic, to say the least. But I don't know if there's any other reasons, you know, like for fear of anything else. But the nerve agent thing, I was like... That is, that sounds legit. But I do understand like them ripping their clothes off and everything. That's that paradoxical undressing thing that happened at Dyatlov Pass. Yes. I do understand that. So I don't think there's anything supernatural going on. Mm -mm. But this is one of those like definitely under a conspiracy theory for me because it wasn't just hypothermia. No. You don't have blending of the eye. Well, you may, but like there's, you don't have that many people that quickly all at once having 
all of like the exact same symptoms with the bleeding of the eyes and the ears and the bruised lungs and the, all of that. You don't have all of that at the same time. Right. And Ludmilla being older makes sense that she had the heart attack with mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, no, it makes complete sense. Or even if they'd been testing it and the rain like washed it down and it got in the water somehow or right. it got on literally anything and it just happened to be that Valentina never touched the things that they touched mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, it just wasn't her fucking time. Right. But if they were testing in the area and like you said, the rain, that makes perfect fucking sense. I cannot believe you agree. But I'm glad you do. But seriously, I feel so bad because they all were going, you know, they were so excited for this. It wasn't a super difficult hike, you know, but uh, they just all had such bright futures ahead of them. And it it's just such a tragic thing. And it could really just be like, yeah, they had tested that months ago or whatever. And it was just one of those freak occurrences you know like it would be interesting to see how long that nerve agent is supposed to last and if that's how many days they waited to go for the search Ooh, yeah yeah all i know is that stories like this just make me glad that i am not outdoorsy though like you know they could throw that inside too but you know I'm outdoorsy when it involves, like, laying on a raft, playing in the ocean, or, like, being on, like, a boat. Nope, nope, nope. Pool or inside. I can be outdoorsy. Not like that, though. Not this hiking shit. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Well, for your story, we went way on the other side of the world. But for my story, we're going to stay pretty local. How local? Vaughn, Mississippi. Oh, shit. So, North Mississippi, the Delta, it's very rural. And I think it's like 40 miles outside of Jackson, which is the capital of Mississippi. Picture it. February 14th, 2004. We're at the home of Michael and Rebecca Hargan. They're a young married couple. They're about 26 years old. And they have a young son named James Patrick. He's about four years old. They had plans that night because it was Valentine's Day. They were going to go to the rodeo. But when a neighbor drove by their house, they noticed that something was off. The front door was ajar. But not only that, Michael's truck, the driver's side door, was open. And so it just made them feel like, wait, something's not right. But if you were just doing a drive-by and you're like, oh, okay, well, maybe Michael was getting in the truck, forgot something, had to run back in really quickly. But I guess this neighbor just had a gut feeling. I don't know if they had gone and done a little more inspecting. I don't know how they just knew, but they just knew that something was wrong. When they get up to the house, they realize that there's blood beside Michael's truck and that Michael... Rebecca and James Patrick were nowhere to be found. They call police, and when investigators get there, they see a disturbing scene. Like I said, there was blood all around Michael's pickup truck. 
His door was open, but his gun was still in his truck. So they didn't know if maybe Michael had been going to his truck to get his gun in some sort of self-defense. They weren't sure, but there were spent casings around the truck, and there were even some teeth. Uh-uh. Yes. Then, when they went inside the house, they found more blood, but they also found a couple more spent casings. And so, they were wondering, okay, did somebody come in? Did something happen between Michael and Rebecca? What happened? Because Rebecca's engagement ring and wedding ring are still there. There's still dishes from the night before. The family dog was still there. Why would her rings be off? Well, saying like not a robbery. Oh, okay. Like it wasn't like somebody had taken their jewelry. Yeah. And this was earlier in the morning and most a lot of people don't sleep in their rings. Yeah. Like you're not supposed to. It's not good for the diamond. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's why I don't want a diamond, because uh, if someone ever is dumb enough to ask me to uh, spend the rest of their life with them, I can't take the ring off because I'll forget to put it back on. Look, you don't need to take the ring off because it'll be like your retainers and they'll just be laying out on willy-nilly nasty. Why are you going to tell people how nasty I am? Oh, God, because if I have to know, they have to know. <laughs> They're not in a container, y'all. I mean, they're on my kitchen counter. I mean, not my kitchen counter. They have been. They they have been. They have been. (laughs) I put my cup down. I'm like, bless America, Carrie. Yeah, like this is your house or something. That was when I had to wear them all the time. Now they're in my bathroom. Mm -hmm. Moving on. (laughs) So, again, we're in rural Mississippi. The Hargans had a lot of guns in the house, too. And all of the guns were still there. There was money in the house that was not taken. And James Patrick has asthma, and so he has to take, like, these inhalers that he, you know, that he does every so often that's really crucial that he does them, and his medication is still there. Like, his nebulizer and all that is still at the house. So, they didn't leave willingly. (laughs) I was just dying because... My mom used to call it her pipe. She'd be like, I got to go smoke my pipe real quick when she would do her breathing treatments. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. There's no evidence of forced injury. And so police are like, okay, well, maybe they knew whoever did this to them and they opened the door for them. They just came up and knocked. Who knows? They're just still trying to put the pieces together. But the one thing they do know is that there is a cap at the scene like a baseball cap at the scene and when the crime scene analysts bring it to the detective to be like okay well this is a piece of evidence that we found the detective says that it has the worst odor and so they're like they could not put their finger on what the odor was of this cap but they're like just bag it we'll figure it out Ooh, ew but this time words getting around this small town that this family of three is missing. The Hargans are very well known in the area because they own a lot of land. They're cattle farmers in the area that have owned property for generations after generations. Michael worked construction and Rebecca worked as a physical therapist assistant. And so, you know, they were just well known in the community. And again, the Hargan family was a large family 
that had such a large presence in the community. And so people really rallied to be like, okay, let's figure this out. Like, how can we help? What can, where can we search? What can we do? Yeah. With any investigation, the first thing that police do, like we know, they're going to look in. They're going to look at the family. They're going to look at, okay, did Michael do this to the family? Did Rebecca do this to the family? Was this some sort of like domestic violence situation? But by all accounts, they were in a very happy, stable marriage. And there was literally no indication and nothing pointing to this being either one of them. Michael and his mother were very, very close. She was actually battling colon cancer. And so he was her caretaker and was kind of like the head of the family, even though he was very, very young. Police continue to do their digging. There's other law enforcement agencies that are getting involved. And over the course of time, I don't know if some law enforcement who had lived in the area for a long time kind of remembered this or if the family told them this, but this isn't the first time that some sort of violent crime has happened to the Hargan family. So just 10 years before this, Michael's father was murdered. Michael's dad's name was Haywood Hargan. And Haywood owned a, I think of it like a general store. You know the story? No, but if you were going to say a hardwood store, I was going to be like, Haywood's, Haywood Hargan's hardwood store? Uh-huh. Uh-uh, no uh-uh. way. But it was kind of like, a, what I picture like a general store or like a, you know, when you're in a rural area and you have like a, like a quick stop where you can just stop and get necessities, but it's, yeah. it's not really like a gas station, but. It's got like a, we, we always call it like a pick-a-pack. I don't know if people call it that. But. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So at this store on Fridays, his dad would cash people's checks. And this is back in 1994 when this happened. So, you know, direct deposit, not super a thing, especially for the laborers that you would find in these rural areas, like doing construction work or working on farms, that type of thing, because it's it's basically all farmland, like all cattle and the th- all the things. <laughs> Sorry, all, all, all I could think of in my head was All Crime, No Cattle, that podcast. Yeah. That's like all I could think of in my head. <laughs> well, there were three guys that waited until a Friday when they knew that Haywood was going to have a lot of cash on hand so that he could cash paychecks. They came in and robbed him. They made off with a whopping $114. Oh, my gosh. And shot and killed Haywood. But a customer came in and interrupted the robbery, which is why they got off with so little money. Yeah. Wow. All of this happened when Michael was just 16 years old. He, of course, was devastated. I mean, as would anybody be at the murder of their parent, But as a 16-year-old, Michael became the head of the household, taking care of his mother. Even though Haywood had a brother, I think that Haywood was the main patriarch. And when he was murdered, Michael kind of stepped into that role, even though he was so young. But there were two things about Haywood's murder that were interesting to police when they were looking for Michael and his missing family. The store where Haywood was shot and murdered, 
Michael had remodeled and made that store the house that he and his family lived in. What? Because it was like this brick building. Yeah. It, I mean, it was, he, so he just kind of, I guess, like put up some walls. I don't know, made it a house. So it was his, it was their house. So it was the same location. Ooh. So now we have a murder. And then 10 years later, now the son of the murder victim and his family are missing. Well, they eventually caught the three people who had murdered Haywood. One of the murderers was allegedly linked to a street gang called the Black Gangsta Disciples. Allegedly. But he was up for parole. And just within a week before Michael and his family went missing, Michael testified at his parole hearing. Oh, shit. And so, Obvi, he didn't get parole. Yeah. So, police are going, okay, not only are there usually not coincidences in murder investigations. Mm -hmm. So, now we have a family that has had not one, but two tragic events within 10 years of each other. And then when Michael blocks the parole from the original... Now he and his family are missing. Um, I'm sorry, what? Right. So police have that in the back of their minds, but they can't find any proof of anything to back it up. And really, if you think about if this is like a gang retaliation for this guy, you would think it would be more like a hit. You know, mm-hmm. it, or they would at least like tag their stuff you know yeah you would they wouldn't necessarily be missing i feel like they would be murdered at their house and you would know like okay like shot in the back of like execution style something like it would be yeah it would just be a kill it wouldn't be like where where are they right like what is all this about police continue to interview all of the family members just to get an idea of anything So, obviously, his mom, who is so ill with cancer, isn't doing anything. You know, he's got a sister. They're interviewing her, interview some cousins. But then they interview an uncle. His name is Ernest Lee Hargan and his wife, Lisa Ainsworth. So, Lisa is like a local veterinarian and Ernest is a cattle farmer who also, like, drives a truck. So they interview them, and they're like, no, I mean, obviously we know about it because, you know, they're cousins and all, but they're like, they said that they had been together, they were homesick that whole night, like they had eaten something bad, and they didn't know anything of it. Well, police were a little like, oh, they just just didn't have the best feeling about Ernest, but... That They didn't have anything. But come to find out, Ernest had actually been adopted by Charles Hargan. And they had a bit of a difficult relationship. So difficult that towards the end of Charles's life, Ernest Lee just would not even go see him. And they just had some shit they needed to work out. And again... Nothing ever really said exactly what it was, so I I don't know. But when he wouldn't go see him, Charles 
at the very end of his life, cut earnestly out of his will. And instead of leaving his 50-acre cattle farm to Ernest Lee, he left it to Michael. Well, I mean, if you're not going to see him... I know. The word on the street is that this cattle farm, it was actually worth a good bit of money, too, because of where it was and all that. I don't know how much it was worth, but it was worth a, it was worth a good bit. But not only, though, did Charles skip out on Ernest, though, Ernest had a son. And so he just skipped Ernest and his son and went, just said, fuck both of y'all and went straight over to Michael. But that's why I say, you know, Michael really did kind of become the patriarch when his father died, though. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying I really think that that did kind of become his role. He really did. Just from the articles that I've read and all seemed to be the one that had the level head of the family and that like handled the finances and handled all the properties and all the things, you know. So I can kind of see why they gave him the land and the will. Also, if you're going to kill the I'm not saying he did. I don't know. We haven't got there yet. But if you're going to kill over this, mm, might be why he didn't give you the fucking land to begin with. Uh... Uh, point made. Yeah. <laughs> Charles is like, told you so. Yeah. He's up in heaven. Told you so. Told you so. <laughs> told you so. Right? He's like, and exhibit A right there, folks. Well, Ernest is calm, cool, and collected during the interview. He has an alibi. His wife is, has, is part of his alibi, and she's a respected veterinarian in the area. I mean, they have nothing. They have no proof. And... Where the house is from Michael and them, there's, I mean, there's like, the next house is a mile away. So it's not like anybody, even if they did hear the gunshots, mm-hmm. would they even think anything of it? Mm, pretty sure uh, that may still be deer hunting season. So they wouldn't probably even think anything of it. I was going to say, I hear gunshots all the time. Yeah. they. I mean, again, it's rural Mississippi. People are yeah. probably out hunting. So, they had nothing to go on. Was the hat, like, sprayed by skunk? Oh, my God. I, no, it's not, but that'd be funny. Well, because, sorry, I was just thinking she's a vet or something. Yeah. So, I was like, <gasps> sorry. Okay. Well, they did end up bringing Ernest back in for a polygraph. Oh, my God. I just, I'm sorry. Please let him be the killer because if he, if he is, Ernest goes to jail I'm just saying, I love that fucking movie. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So they did end up bringing Ernest, earnestly, whichever, back in for a polygraph. And he didn't fail it, but he didn't pass it. It was inconclusive, leaning towards the truth. So he didn't fail it. You know, dot, dot, dot. So police are back to square one. Literally nothing. And this case is on the news all day the time it's making news in larger areas around like jackson you know all these larger areas and you know vaughn's this really small town but still nothing police had gotten a tip about a white van that had been there and they were like oh my god okay this is it like they're hunting down all the white vans and then it just ended up being somebody that was there like doing some work like it 
that didn't pan out either. It was like literally every time that they were like, yes, damn it. You know, it was literally nothing panned out until two weeks after Michael, Rebecca, and James Patrick went missing. The case broke wide the fuck open. Lisa came into the police station and said, earnestly did it. She said that she woke up, realized he wasn't in bed. He had called her and said, if anybody asks like where I am, I've been with you this whole time. And then after he comes home, they end up going to a Mexican restaurant for their Valentine's dinner. And he told her that he killed all three of them. Police are shocked. It's like they know, but they don't know because it's been two weeks. So they know that James Patrick cannot go that long without his medicine. But they also held out hope just like everybody else did because they didn't have any bodies. But now here they have basically her confession for him. Yeah. She tells police that she was scared for her own life and her own safety and that that's why she's just now coming forward. But she just could not live with this. Like, her safety be damned. Like... They had to find this family. From what I understand, she kind of goes into hiding. From there, police arrest Ernest Lee. But at first, whenever I was looking at everything, I thought they just arrested him for the murder. But I was like, how how'd they do that? You know, no, they arrested him for possession of crystal meth and having a firearm while in possession of, like, a controlled substance. Oh, dang. Yeah. So, Ernest Lee, in his 40s, had started using crystal meth when he was on these long truck routes hauling the cattle. He was doing it to stay awake. And now, he's still using it. I feel like there's other means that are a little bit better than uh, crystal meth. Oh, do you know how many truck drivers use crystal meth? I did not. Oh, a ton. And do you know, okay, okay, here's a little tidbit for you. Okay. I had a patient one time that told me, allegedly, (laughs) he said he didn't do it anymore. And he didn't drive trucks anymore either. But he said when he was a truck driver, what they would do was they would take toothpicks and soak them in crystal meth. Although, I'm like, I thought you smoked crystal meth. This shows you how much I know about shit. But I was like, I thought you smoked crystal meth. But they would like soak it, and then put those in the visor so that they could, like, put the toothpick in their mouth, and that's how they would get the crystal meth. And then if a cop stopped them, like, there wouldn't be, like, they wouldn't have any paraphernalia. Like, it would just be a toothpick. Wow. Yeah. And then it would be, like, this, like, slow burn, basically, in their mouth of a toothpick just, like, holding crystal meth in your mouth. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, a lot. I'm not saying all. But the ones that are doing shady shit, yeah, they're using crystal meth to stay awake. Which I don't understand how they do that because, and that's what I tried to ask this guy. I was like, okay, there are so many laws in place about how many hours you can drive and how often you have to stop and sleep and all of this. Like, how do you get around that? Like, how are you faking that? How are you faking those logbooks? And like, I don't understand but apparently they do it. There's Apparently there's ways around it. Wow. But it also pisses me off because that's not fair. You're putting not only your life, but you're putting a fuck ton of people's lives in jeopardy. Yeah. So fuck you. Don't do crystal meth and definitely don't do it and drive a fucking 18-wheeler. 
Right. Yeah. Well, that's how they arrested him. And so it helped them be able to get time to get search warrants and all of the things. Yeah. Once he was arrested for the meth, police were asking him about the murders. And he was just, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. But they decided to use his wife against him. They told him that his wife was going to get charged with three capital offenses. And she was in on it. And he's like, wait, wait, what? And they're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, if she didn't do this with you, like, you you got to tell us. Because otherwise, like, she's going down with you. Like, sorry, but she's going to go down too. And he's like, okay. So he finally tells police just what we knew. He was so pissed about the will, stewing over it for weeks, that before daylight, he heads over to Michael's house in his 74 Corvette, which I have to say, I'm jealous of the Corvette, but whatever. Knocks on the door, and Michael obviously immediately knows something's bad whenever he sees who who it is that early at the door. Michael puts on his boots and heads to his truck because it starts getting heated, and he knows he needs his gun for protection. And that's where the fight between Michael and Ernest Lee happens. I'm surprised he doesn't have more guns, like, inside and stuff. He does. But at that moment, what I'm thinking is, I'm not in his head, but what I'm picturing is the gun in his truck was probably, one, closer, and two, not close to his wife and his child. Well, I mean, I don't know what kind of guns he had, but, like, why not just get one at first and put it behind, like, in your pants, behind you? Because he knew something was up anyway. I don't mean to be victim blaming. I'm just saying I don't understand why. Well, it's impossible to know what he was thinking. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how early it was. Yeah, true. Was he was he woken up? So it was just put some shoes on and answer the door. And who knows what he was thinking. Right. But I would imagine in that moment when he realizes this is getting that heated, I wouldn't imagine that he would... Think, okay, my cousin's at the door. He, I need my gun. Until it got to that point where it was getting that heated and he felt that threatened that he was like, I need to go to my truck. Mm, nah, if it had just happened a couple of weeks ago, death does some funky stuff to people. It does, clearly. So Clearly it yes, does. So I would be like, mm, better safe than sorry. Yeah. But again... Who knows? He didn't know who was at the door, which oh, is what you were saying. Oh, I thought you said he knew. when he. I don't think when he opened the door, he knew who was there till he opened the door. Oh, okay. I thought you said he knew who it was and was like, let me get on my shoes and go talk to him. Okay. No, I don't think he knew who it was until he literally opened the door. Okay, 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 okay. But in that moment of, do I go back here and I get my hunting rifles or do I walk to my car and I get or my truck and I get my hunting rifle or pistol that's in his truck it's go the truck and get that one because again it's further away from his wife and kid yeah to keep them safe a scuffle ensues he gets some sort of punch in the mouth which I'm assuming I really think that it had to have been with the butt of the gun and Ernest shoots him in the head with his 22 caliber pistol oh Okay, this is where it gets a little gruesome and does involve James Patrick. So if you need to skip forward, do so. 
Ernest Lee goes into the house and finds Rebecca, and he says that he doesn't really remember where he hits her. Some accounts say that he hit her, like, over the head, and that there was a little bit of a scuffle and that the gun went off. Some stuff says that he shot her in the arm and then just choked her until she was unconscious. Then he made his way to James Patrick. But he didn't shoot James Patrick. He choked him, but he didn't kill him. He just choked him until he was unconscious. Then he put Michael's body in the Corvette and then put Rebecca and James Patrick on top of Michael. Yeah, because not a lot of people can fit in a Corvette because they're stupid. The cars. And Carrie's giving me a look because she loves them. They're not big people friendly, so they're not my favorite. Did I ask you to pay for it? And did I tell you to ride? No, ma'am. So stay your ass at home and I'm still buying one. (laughs) Go right ahead. When my student loans are paid for when I'm 85 years old. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Artists ended up driving about 100 miles away from Michael's house to another farm. He threw the pistol out along the way, so that's never to be recovered. When he got to the second location, that's when he strangled Rebecca and James Patrick to death. In his interview with police, he felt the need to specifically mention that James Patrick didn't even cry. Rebecca died with James Patrick in her arms. Gosh. Then he buried the bodies in a shallow grave And it almost looked like they were like hugging in this shallow grave and then covered it with this rusted piece of tin. After he confessed to police, he told them where to find the bodies. Police were able to go and recover the bodies and Ernest Lee was charged with the murders of Michael, Rebecca, and James Patrick. Michael's mother, Diane, like I told you, she was fighting colon cancer, and she was trying her best to survive, to see the end through the trial. But she ended up passing a month before Ernest's trial. Oh, gosh. The case went to trial. He was found guilty and given the death penalty. Tragedy struck the Hargan family again, and not long after the trial, Michael's sister, Jennifer died from an accidental drug overdose on sleeping medication. And she left behind three children. Oh, gosh. I do want to say that Rebecca's family didn't want the death penalty for Ernest because, like, they don't believe in the death penalty. But the Hargan family wanted it, and they ended up going for the death penalty. And, you know, most... Inmates in Mississippi who are on death row are on death row for over 20 years before they're put to death. So about a year after Jennifer died, Michael's sister, earnestly, while he's on death row, a gang member got out of his cell and stabbed earnestly 30 times with a homemade shiv and murdered him. Wow. Yep. I wonder if that was a hit. I don't know. I couldn't find anything about it because I think he was a member of the Latin Kings and there was nothing that I saw tying earnestly to that. I will say, though, that I forget what block it was that they were on, like 
I'm making this up, but like E3, I don't know. But his was like the third death within like six months on this block of like inmate on inmate murder. Mm -hmm. And so Parchman, which is Mississippi's big prison, was really trying, like, it was like, this article was like, okay, they're like, this is the third murder. You really got to fix the security here. Like something's going on. So I don't think it really had anything to do with Ernest as much as it had to do with like other shit going on. Mm. Like he was probably, I'm guessing like a hit of like initiation of some sort or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Of something like that. Like I, I think it had to do with things other than Ernest. He was just wrong place at the right time kind of thing. Oh, okay. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I was just thinking if it was, again, allegedly, if it was someone from the family, you know, like Jennifer's death, put him over the top and was like, I don't think so. No, nope, because never going to, like, because he's never going to see actual death. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's just going to sit there if he's on, you know what I mean? Like, who knows? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I, I don't think, I don't think so. But now the house just sits empty and it sits like marked off, like, don't enter here, no trespassing. Gosh. But, and some people say the family's cursed because they've had such, I mean, the dad was murdered. The mom died of cancer. The son and his whole family yeah. was murdered. The sister died of the overdose. And then, I mean, you know, the cousin that, you know, you know did the murders, but then yeah. he was murdered. Wow. That is a lot of trauma for one family. Mm-hmm. Wow. So thank you for the anonymous email that we got for recommending this story. Oh, awesome. I mean, I know if you get to that level, you're not thinking with your clear head with a level head or whatever the saying is but like Ernest Lee no one in your family like your son didn't get the get the land and like you kill that whole family you weren't next in line honey killing that whole family did nothing for you but ruin your life and the lives of literally everyone else that you know mm-hmm. and thought supposedly you loved. love yeah mm and I mean, I don't know. His wife was never charged. I don't think she had anything to do with anything. It really did seem like he just came home and was like, I did this. She waited two weeks. Yeah. But we also don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Exactly. So, I mean, there is no reason to not believe her on her fear for her own safety. I mean, he killed his family. He killed a four-year-old. With his hands. There's really no reason to not believe her. And police didn't arrest her and didn't have any reason or, well, they didn't arrest her for obstruction or anything like that. So they clearly felt the same way. Yeah. And I don't think she had anything to gain either. Like, I don't think the property's going to go to her. Well, it's not her family. Right. And she never even changed her last name. Right. She's the one with the money, I think. Mm-hmm. She's a fucking veterinarian. So, And, I mean, what the fuck does she have to get out of this? Because she's got the most to lose from this, I would feel. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. she's, people have to fucking trust you when they're taking their beloved animal to you. So, if they think that you killed a toddler, um. Do you know why the hat Oh, yes. Okay. God, thank you. I feel like. 
like this could have been solved, not solved, but I feel like this was like almost on the cusp of being a very good forensic files. And then it just failed. I don't know why they missed this and maybe they didn't. And it just never came out, but they found monkey hairs on the hat. Ooh. Guess who owned a monkey pet? Earnestly. Lisa, his wife. Well, so, um, wow. I mean, if you had done, like, if you had the forensics saying it's a monkey hair. In Vaughn, Mississippi, who owns a monkey? I mean, so, I mean, maybe they just didn't say that was some of the forensic link that they did in trial, you know? Yeah. But, like, I feel like that would have been, like, forensic files. It was a primate hair that we found when we put it in the gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. I just want to say I wasn't that far off with the skunk. No, you really weren't. But, I I mean, I really, again, maybe it was a piece that they really did use in trial that I just didn't find anywhere. Yeah. Because I really did try to, like, find, like, the transcripts and all that. But, I mean, I ain't filing, like, a FOIA request or some shit like that. Yeah. (laughs) But I just kept, like, waiting on the forensic files drop. And it never happened. You know, yeah. Because, you know, this is real life, not an episode of something. I mean, even though that is real life, but you get the point. I Hey, I've tried to make it happen this whole time. I'm like, but this, but this, but this. Oh, yeah. It's not a movie. I'm making it a movie in my head. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But it kind of did play out like a movie, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really was like the evil cousin that was cut out of the wheel, you know? Yeah. Oh, fuck him, man. Death brings out the worst. Death and money. Yeah. Well, because death brings money. I was going to say, and put those two together, and you have just put gasoline on a fire. Yeah. It just sucks because all the victims in both of our stories were just so unsuspecting, just doing their own thing, going about their business. Yep. But then again, also, shame on me because isn't that every victim? Yeah. And it doesn't matter literally what you're doing. You never expect to be the victim of a crime. Right. So also shame on me. But you get what I mean. Yeah. Your people were out fucking hiking. They weren't expecting to just like come up on some alleged nerve agent, you know? Right. And then my people were just sleeping, trying to get ready for the fucking rodeo for date night for Valentine's Day. I don't know. Maybe I just kind of identified with the victims in my story a little bit just because he was a little bit country and she was a little bit therapy. True. And I mean, you know, Colby, me. (laughs) True. I need to do a story next week that does not involve a child because I know that this has been a hard couple of weeks. Like after I picked this story and I was, you know, halfway through my research, I was like, ooh. This is a couple weeks in a row that has a kid involved. So next week, no kid, I promise. Mm -hmm. Until I forget. Right, I was going to (laughs) say. And then it's going to have a kid. I'll be like, was I supposed to make sure this week had a child killer in it? No, you're going to be like, and okay, so she opened a baby farm. (laughs) I'm going to be like, so Nanny Doss. Yeah. (laughs) I learned Mother Nature can't trust. Families, you can't trust. Monkeys. You can't trust. And they shed like a motherfucker. Well, how do you know you can't trust it? It just sheds. And apparently, they stink. Uh, What do you mean apparently? Have you never been to a zoo? Well, that's a lot of them congregated 
Donna, the saying literally goes, you look like a monkey and you smell like one too. But if it's a domesticated monkey, you can make it smell better. Just because you see that shit on TikTok, you don't smell. It's not smell-o-vision. But you can. How you know? TikTok. (laughs) You got smell-o-vision? No, but just like a dog. Your dog never stinks. Well, I not, have smelled her. Yeah, but not to where someone would pick up a hat and go, Donna, I have picked up a blanket. Well, yeah. Uh-huh. That's uh-huh. a blanket for forever. That is his hat. <laughs> what has that monkey done in that hat? Sat in it? Maybe that's how he carried him around. Maybe it was a baby monkey. Oh, that's really <laughs> cute, though, to think of. <laughs> I love little monkeys. I blame it on Ernestly. He, his head stunk. I mean, how many days had he been awake on that meth? There's no telling what he was doing. Because while I know it's an addiction and that everyone's different, fuck him. So I'll be a butthole about him. Ernest Lee. I share his middle name <laughs> this whole time. And that's, that's what I take away from that. I'm not surprised. I'm surprised you didn't say that in the first three minutes. Well, you know, what is y'all's takeaway? Hopefully it's more than Donna's. Um, let us know. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And if you have more story ideas, you know we love them and we use them, clearly. So keep them coming. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.